Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties, recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. My next guest and I caught up on a cold and rainy afternoon and I'll tell you what, I almost overslept because I tried to lay down for 20 minutes. Big mistake. But you know what? Some instant coffee helped me get jacked up. We're talking about Kenny Lambert, and he's got a company called Just a Dad from Akron. He sells apparel and clothing, and his focus is parenthood, sobriety, and positivity. And you know what? He's getting it done in a little community called Kenmore, Ohio. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome to this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Kenny, how are you today, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good. I appreciate you having me on here and doing the interview for sure. We don't even know each other, man. That's what's far out of you. Because we, we kind of run in similar circles with some people that we know in common, but we don't. For our listeners, I just want to introduce Kenny Lambert. He's just a dad from Akron. And I have heard about your store for a while. I've driven by it when I've gone over there to listen to music, to visit some things that are going on in Kenmore, which, by the way, my mom graduated from Kenmore High School in 1947. Believe it or not, that's crazy. My dad and my mom both went to Margaret Park School, which I guess is being closed now or has been closed now. So I've got deep roots. My my family, my my ex-wife's side is from there. So there's deep roots. I used to go over there for guitar repairs for years. Tell me the story about Kenmore, Ohio, and how how you came up in Kenmore, Ohio, because I want to hear about that. Then we're going to talk about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was uh, born and raised here in Kenmore. And, you know, for like at a young age, I didn't really know like what was really going on. I was always very um, naive and oblivious to stuff outside of like what I already knew. Um, So for school, uh, my parents, we had always lived in Kenmore. So I've lived here my whole life. Um, My parents sent me to Springfield which is uh, like 20 minutes, like Springfield, Ellet area. Um, so first through eighth grade, I went there. It was very, uh, I guess, you know, like sheltered, I would say, compared to Kenmore when I finally got to realize, like when I was old enough to realize what Kenmore really was about. So like first through eighth grade out there, um, school, I was a little skateboarder kid. All I did was skateboard, real antisocial, just did the, you know, slid through the cracks of everything and just did what I was supposed to. No trouble. And then for uh, like high school, my parents gave me the option. Um, they said, you can either go to Springfield or you can go to Kenmore. And I chose Kenmore because the commute was only five minutes versus 20. So I could sleep in, you know, like that extra 15 minutes. <laughs> well, you know, the decisions we make when we're in a seventh, eighth grade, that those all make sense. Yeah, right? for sure. <laughs> my my future is going to be determined whether or not I can sleep in yeah. for five minutes. That makes yeah. sense to me, brother. Yeah, I'm with sure. you. I'm with you. There. Yeah. Right. You know. So, I mean, that probably was a big turning point for you is deciding to, you know, to stay in, in the close proximity of your neighborhood. So tell me a little bit about what was Kenmore like then when you were in high school. Uh, yeah. So like when I went to Kenmore High School, it was a huge culture shock, you know, completely different. I've witnessed a lot of stuff that I've never seen before. 
um, as far as violence every single day, um, a lot of drugs, alcohol, and stuff like that, and just a totally different lifestyle. It, mm. it did a complete 180 of what I was used to. Um, and for me at that early age, I was, I loved it. I had a, it was an adrenaline rush, you know, I was so psyched. Like, this is yeah. what I live for, you know, I fit in. Right. You know, cause when we're at that age, I think we're, we're really looking for things that we see maybe on the movies and TV. Like, what is this life like? I want some excitement. Uh, I get it. I get it. You were like, like, this is real. This is real life. I'm in, yeah, I'm sure. in it. Right. Obviously we're here because. We're talking about recovery. We're talking about substance use disorder. Um, you and I don't know each other, but I think we probably can assume pretty well that we both, you know, come from the same club yeah, in that for regard. Sure. But um, you know, so so what happened for you? How did how did you get started? You know, using when I went to Kenmore, all my friends that I had there, you know, I told them like, yeah, I've never drank, I've never smoked weed, none of that, and they couldn't believe it. You know, they're like, what? Like this is insane. You know. Yeah. So like we planned it out like on a Monday, we're like, all right, Friday, we're going to get Kenny drunk, you know? Um, so that was like my first experience. So like my first use with alcohol was uh, a bunch of like Mike's hard lemonade smeared off and a case of Bush light. And we went to a party. I got, I tried to get drunk, you know, everyone's having a great time dancing. And me, I drank like two beers and two wine coolers and I was on the ground. My stomach hurt. I hated it. I had a horrible experience, you know? And I'm like, how are these people having fun? So when I went back to school on Monday, we came to the conclusion that I just drank the wrong stuff. That's you know? it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like my first real drunk though was a uh, gin and tonic. So we had planned it out. I was at the skate park. We went to my buddy's house. His dad was a professional alcoholic with a bar and we get there and my buddies had very good experience being alcoholics and drinking. Uh, we're 16. And, you know, like that's where I found the real, like my real love, you know, for alcohol. Um, that, that first time um, I was so naive when we get there, I'm, I'm chugging tonic water. And they're like, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, I'm trying to get drunk, man. And they're like, no, dude, like you're supposed to mix it. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that night ended up being horrible. Um, I, I witnessed like, my first time, like parental child violence, you know, I got to see, um, we were all blacked out drunk. My buddy's dad came home, um, and you know, like beat the living shit out of his kid. Um, and I was scared, you know, I was scared for my life. I'm like, I'm about to get beat up, you know? Um, and my parents growing up, you know, like they never drank or anything in the household. So I was very fearful to call them and let them know like, Hey, I need picked up. And in active addiction, it was a, it, it just, that was like the beginning of this thing that just kept going. It was, uh, every time I'd get in trouble or anytime I needed a ride, I'd always call and say, Hey, I need picked up. Right. And when my parents would arrive or whoever was coming to get me, I would have a whole bunch of other people with me. And they're like, who are these people? I'm like, they're coming with us, you know, like just spur of the moment. Um, or I'd always blame everyone else. You know, I didn't tell my parents I was drunk that night. But they knew, you know, but when I called for the ride, I'm like, his dad came home drunk. His dad's doing this. We're innocent, you know, like trying to, you know, and like that's from there. That's just how like my whole addiction uh, was fueled off of it's everybody else. It's not me and what I'm doing. Everybody else is the problem. I think that when, when we look back on those things, we got to be kind to ourselves and and just understand that, you know, we were just using the tools we had in our toolbox. Confronting 
the fact that you had gone down a different road, a different value system than what you had grown up with uh, is is really a big, big deal. And I think it keeps a lot of, especially adolescent alcoholics, you know, out of treatment because I just can't, I can't let everybody know that I've done this. I just can't. You know what I mean? I mean, it's cool to let my friends know and we get our secrets because, you know, come on. At that age, we've got friend secrets anyway, right? Yeah, for we sure. Don't tell for people. sure. We don't tell people what's going on. We don't tell people what we see, what we're doing, what we've done, what happened. You know, we just can't come clean with the people that could probably help us the most. How long did this go on for you? I mean, you're right now, you're 16, you're starting to use. Did it escalate? Tell me about the using years without going too deep into it because I really yeah, want yeah. to get to the good stuff, brother. Yeah, for sure. So like it escalated like from 16 to I'd say like 21, which is strictly alcohol, you know? And at first it started, you know, just weekends. Um, and then I started hanging out, like I always hung out with older people. So then it became four days out of the week. So it'd be like Friday, Saturday, Sunday was the day off, but Tuesday, Thursday, you know? So then, and then it became every day. And then after 21, when I was like legally able to drink, you know, like, of course I had the fake IDs, always had the older people I was hanging out with that could get me into the bar or the club. Um, but when I was 21, that's when it really took off with a lot of other substances and uh, yeah, like drinking every day. And I didn't really know what alcohol withdrawal was. When I woke up, I thought I was just hungover. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm just hungover. I just need to drink more, right? To get rid of this hangover. But really, that was like the early stages of withdrawal. And I had no idea. I was, you know, completely oblivious to that part of my addiction. Isn't it kind of crazy, man, how, you know, we got so many people when we're starting to use, how many people are, you know, we want to find out, you know, how to, you know, how do I get this? And how do I get, how do I do that? And where can we go? And whose dad or mom would do this? But do you remember anybody stepping up to go, dude? Don't do that. Nah, don't. Because like all the people I hung out with at the time was, uh, you know, like maybe my parents. I remember my mom one time told me that her worst fear, I, was, I think I was like 21, somewhere in between the 21 and 24 age. My mom told me that her worst fear was that the cops were going to show up and she's got to identify my body. Right, right. You know, and I'm like, there's right. no way. Like, I'm not that right. bad. You know, like, right. I'm not shooting heroin right. or anything, you know, right. not yet, <laughs> you know. So I mean, what, one of the things that I dig about your mission that I, that I think you talk about is that, you know, you're really trying to, you know, to focus on that parenthood aspect of what happened yeah. to you, you know, and I'll, you know, along with sobriety, I mean, we're, we're, we're sobriety soldiers, you and I, we are, yeah, for you know? sure. um, but also the positivity of, of what the life is like once you get over that and get out of that. For me, I call it the dark room, that place yeah. I couldn't find the, the door to. I kept wandering around like a mime trying to find, you know, the door. And I just couldn't find the handle to the door to get out. Even though I thought I knew a lot about living and life, I couldn't find that door. So what's interesting to me is, is that did your mom have any tools available to her that she could say, how do I help my son? What can I do to help my son? And I think this is an important discussion for us as we move forward. So, you know, yeah. what, what, what do your parents say now about what they look back on and, and, and see, you know, how they could have maybe interrupted or intervened? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like my dad, um, he's, he's never drank, never smoked, even, you know, to this day, he's very Christian, works hard, works uh, three or four jobs. But my mom, when I started partying, she became the cool mom, you know, coming to the parties, showing up with money and was like, I want to buy whatever you guys are doing, you know? And like, at a sense, like now looking back at it, that I'm sober, I fueled and introduced her to a lot of people 
and the lifestyle of alcoholism and drug addiction, you know, and she's still struggling now, you know? So it's like, it's a very touchy subject as far as, you know, like I got sober and me and my mom were like super close growing up, you know, while in addiction. And now that it's like, I'm sober, she tries to distance herself from me. Um, so like the past four years, it's like that bond has parted ways a little, you know? And it's like the only time I really see her talk to her is like on holidays. But I always like check up on her, you know, I'm just like, hey, mom, like, I love you. Like, I hope everything's all right. It's, it's, it's a very touchy subject recently because we've been filming a documentary um, and she's refused to do her interview because of her addiction. Well, it's understandable, isn't it, brother? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for we sure. Know, we know what that feels like. Yeah. We know what that feels like to be able to not say what we need to say or not to face what we need to face because I think as, as people that are in active use, we, we, our life is, is really arm's length. We are just living to the next thing. Okay. I, I, if I can just get through today, if I just get my thing that I need today, if I feel like, I, you know, that midbrain takes over and that dopamine reward system takes over and we're just going to, okay, if I can just do this, then I'll deal with that. But I can't get to that until I get this. I need me. I need me some of this. You know what I mean? Before I'm, before I'm gonna get me some of that. At some point, you had to come to the place where you said, "I got to do something." How many times did you have to say, "I need to do something" before something happened? Oh, there's a ton. You know, so like while in active addiction, I I earned three felonies, all separate, spread out. Uh, two different DUIs. And for a long time, it was always the cops are the problem. You know, I wouldn't have got this DUI if the cops didn't pull me over. Um, I wouldn't have got arrested with these drugs, you know, this and that. It was always someone else's problem. Um, so it took me, because I'm very hard headed, tons of trips to jail, probation, drug court. And uh, for a while, it was, I was just so in love with the lifestyle that I was like, I'm going to do this to get everyone off my back. You know, I'm a complete drug court to show people who have doubted me. I wasn't doing it for myself. You know, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a little, just a quick short break and we're going to come back right after this word from our sponsors. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy to find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks the podcast can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. Recoverytalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. We're talking with Kenny Lambert, who has got a really incredible company called Just a Dad from Akron. And brother, man, I'm trying to get it up, man. You know, we, had, we were originally scheduled to be uh, doing this interview uh, earlier this morning, this podcast. And, I, you know, it, it didn't happen. So, man, I, I took like a 20-minute nap. That was a big mistake. I'm trying to do some instant coffee. I made it like super strong and I'm like, whoa, wake up, Markley yeah. Shannon. You know, so, but um, man, thank you again for being here. And so I think that we've taken our listeners up to the point where you're going to make a change. 
Yep. So let's talk about what happened. The the real thing of like when I was fully willing to get sober, um, like before I had completed drug court, uh, had a sponsor, was going to meetings. I was like half on the fence of recovery, right? So I'm like one foot in, one foot out. Like, this is what I want to do. I don't want to do the rest of these suggestions, you know? I'd say I was about 10 months sober. I had relapsed. Right before I relapsed, my child's mother was pregnant with our daughter. And I went on this bender for nine months the whole time she was pregnant. Yeah, because, because you know, relapse isn't, relapse isn't overnight. You know what I mean? Yeah, People, yeah. You know, you know, I had... You know, I don't, I don't want to be autobiographical here, but I had multiple relapses after treatment at St. Thomas. And, and for me, I think I was one of the lucky ones because I just had those one nighter, like what happened relapses. Yeah. But earlier on in my, my professional using career, I had a, a long term of sobriety, almost four and a half years. And then I decided 11 years of going out would be good. You know what I mean? Because, right. you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right, you know? But yeah. so we're getting to the point with your story where, you've created a human being and there's that level of responsibility. And I'm sensing already that, you know, your own parental instincts kick in what you grew up with, how you, how you parent is almost always, there's no school for parents. So what you know, you know, our parents are, in my opinion, are our greatest teachers. And that can be a really positive thing. And that can be something that isn't as positive. Right. Yeah. So I can sense from your story that I've become aware of that that for you was a really big motivator when you had created a human being. So let's pick up from there. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, you know, I wanted to get sober. My daughter was born Uh, when I was at the hospital. Everyone's calling me, tell me, congratulations. Can we come meet your daughter? And uh, I was so selfish and still in addiction. I'm like, not unless you have something for me, you know, like, unless you're bringing me something, right? Like, you're not able to come see this beautiful baby girl, right? Yeah, it was, it was horrible, you know? And I wanted to get clean because I knew my daughter deserved a clean, sober, loving father, right? So there was many nights for like the first nine months she was born. There was many nights where I'm just like contemplating like, suicide, you know, because I was, I felt so deep in my addiction there that there was no hope. There was no way out. You're not alone, brother. You're not alone in that feeling. You know, a lot of us felt that way. For sure. Um, yeah. And then uh, from there, I ended up homeless, burnt all the bridges with my family, everyone, um, all the help that people wanted to give me wasn't the help I wanted. You know, the help I wanted was $20 or <laughs> a couch to sleep on, you know, um, not yeah. like, I don't want to go to treatment, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show you how I can turn this around type of, you know, pride and ego through addiction. And I'm just like horrible, homeless. No one wanted me around. And one night I just kept praying like, God, like I know I have a purpose, you know? And if, if you're real, put me in jail, you know? And I just kept praying, put me in jail. And I'm like, if you're not real, then I'm going to gain the courage to commit suicide. And I prayed that for like a week. And then I ended up getting arrested. And when I got arrested, I remember telling the cops like, thank you. And they're looking at me crazy. Like, what do you mean? Like, what, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm like at my end, you know? So from there, when I got out of jail, I went to treatment. First step in Warren, it's called Parkman. Um, and it wasn't like court ordered or anything. I was just so beat down and broken, you know? Like, this is my only option. So yeah, I went to treatment out there. Seven-day detox, 21-day sober living, fully willing to do any suggestions. Um, 
if they told me to do, you know, like how people always say, like the cliche, like go do a handstand in the corner of the room and you'll stay sober. Right. Um, I was willing to do anything. I was, I was willing to do anything. I think what people don't understand about, you know, the journeys we've gone through when we go through early sobriety is that a lot of people think, you know, you go to treatment, he got well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you, you, those first few miles, that first year is so critically important to be able to have some, I want to call them right now, curbs. How do I get a job? How do I live? How do I begin to mend fences? How do I become surrounded by people that are going to support me and not have me go back to the old school people, which are just too easy to do? That first year, tell me just briefly, what was it like for you in that first year? First year for me was amazing. I, you know, the only suggestion I feel like that was very highly suggested that I didn't take was not to make any major decisions. And I went and bought a car, you mm-hmm. know, with a 20% interest rate that was a lemon. And, you know, so yeah, like, yeah. I've been, you know, I'm finally like wrapping the lease up on that. The whole first year, you know, I went to tons of meetings. I hung out at sober houses, took guys to meetings, and I just did everything that was suggested. And, you know, I built this, this awesome, like foundation and relationship with uh, my higher power, which I call God. Mm. Um, And I got to spend every, almost like, it was like six days a week with my daughter. So I was being a a present father in the rooms. It's like, you know, like my sponsor. And so it's like, I took the mentality from like when I was younger, like I looked up to all older people growing up as a kid. So it's like in recovery, I did the same thing. So it's like all the people that are in my recovery circle are are older people with, with good amounts of sobriety. Mm. Um, so I learned how to be a dad from them. Let's fast forward a little bit then, you know what I mean? To, a, to the place where you meet a guy named Spencer. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, there's a whole different plan that the universe kind of puts on top of you. Let's talk about your business and how you're doing things. And because I want to get to the point where we show people, one of the things that, that I feel is super important about this podcast is to let people know that there is evidence of recovery out there. There is. People can and do make it. It's not easy. Sometimes it's not so fun. And you got to overcome the stigmas of all the things that people think about people that are in long-term recovery from substance use disorder and also mental health issues, right? But at some point, you get to the point where you say, all right, you know what? Maybe it's starting to light up a little bit in that dark room. So tell me about you meet Spencer and what's happening then because this is the genesis of your business, right? I had launched a company March 2020. This pandemic, it was just online sales, word of mouth, um, working construction full-time, delivering orders. The news had picked up the company, aired a five-minute story on the news of the company and everything that was going on. Um, and then my buddy, Sebastian Spencer had seen that on the news. Um, and I didn't know him at the time. Uh, he had just seen it, seen the story of how I got sober and turned my life around and was doing positive things in the community through sobriety. And, uh, that inspired him to get sober. So, um, he had detox for seven days and just showed up here at my doorstep, you know, and was just like, Hey man, like you inspired me. I, I saw you on the news and he's like, Anything you need me to do, I'm willing to do it. You know, anything that I can do to make the community a better place. And so no kid has to go through what I've been through. I'm willing to do that. Um, and it gives me the chills, you know, because like that kid was, it was like me when I met him. Um, it was like me looking at my younger self, you know? So that's like 
20 year old Kenny. And I'm like, bro, like you listen to the same music. You're responding to girls the same way I used to. I'm like, look, you know, so it was, it was, it was really cool. Like we had this, this bond that I've never uh, experienced with anybody else. Um, and he was just all in, you know, and he was willing to do any work that he needed to do to stay sober and make a change for himself, but also to inspire others in the community that it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, you can turn your life around um, and be the change that you, that you want to be. Well, I just want to tell our listeners, we're, we're, we're talking with Kenny Lambert right now, who owns a company called Just a Dad from Akron. The things that you just said, brother, are what I think a lot of people know about you, which is that you are making an impact and a change in Kenmore as it is now. So tell me a little bit about your store and why you decided to leave it in Kenmore and why you decided to really work on that development. Because, you know, we have a couple friends in common. Yeah. And you know you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. That turned me on to your number, right? It's Tina, right? Yeah, you know for sure. I mean? And she's she's an angel. Yeah, for, for sure. For Kenmore, Tina's awesome. You know? And so tell me why it is you decided that I'm going to stay in Kenmore. I'm going to keep building up this area because this is the story that I think I'm, I'm the most interested in when it comes to, you know, why you are doing what you're doing and, and how you decided to not necessarily take the easy route because by this time you're having some success, right? So yeah. you didn't have to be there. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit about this. Yeah. Yeah. So like I chose, I chose Kenmore because this is where I grew up, you know, um, and the household I grew up in, it was my parents bought a house in Kenmore and we were never going to be able to afford to get out. Right. So I chose Kenmore because everyone that I grew up as a kid, like meeting here, they all had the same circumstances. You know, a lot of people are stuck here in, in this neighborhood. So I could have went anywhere. I could have went to Stowe, Hudson, wherever, and, but it wasn't about the money to me, you know, it was about really making a huge change. Um, so I chose Kenmore Boulevard and because this is where, you know, needs the most change, like right here in my hometown. Um, and because a lot of people aren't ever going to be able to, to get out of here, you know? So it's like, why not stay here where my roots are and open up the storefront, give kids that are running the streets, a safe place to come hang out, um, work on their art. Uh, collab with a few kids that 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 are 16. You know, I did a collab with a 16 year old kid who has a, ho- a really rough home life. Um, he's very artistic. We sat down in the winter. We we drew up a design. We printed on hoodies. And this kid, he's like searching for his purpose at a young age. And when we dropped those hoodies, people came in the store and they're congratulating him, telling him like, I don't want to say his name, but. Your, your artwork is so amazing, you know, and like to see that boost his confidence and give him hope, you know, that he has a purpose that that alone right there is, is worth to me more than a million dollars. You know, our listeners can't see it, man, but you, I'm watching you describe this this whole action with this kid and you you just lit up, man. You just lit up talking about this. So as we move through this, maybe, you know, I, I, we like to keep our podcast around 30 minutes because I think it's, it's, it's kind of like the right amount of time, but I, I really want to just spend it just a minute of you talking about your store. What, what, what can people, how do people find out about your store? How do they, you know, what, what do you got there? Tell our listeners what you could do when you find just the dad from Akron. The, the storefront's located on 937 Kenmore Boulevard. Um, all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, website is just a dad from Akron. Website, just a dad from Akron.com. So like in the store, we have, it's just a bunch of positive, uplifting merchandise. Um, some of the pos- like the big sellers are Be the Change Akron Needs um, on a t-shirt. 
um, or be who you needed when you were younger. Um, those are so all the merchandise is positive, uplifting um, to empower the person wearing it, but also to empower the person reading it um, as as the person's wearing it out in the community. Right, and you also you also inspire because you have like you have people that you you know you allow to come in and hang out, and you have gatherings, and you talk about sobriety, and you and you have a really it's a safe place, safe haven for people that want to you know come off the streets and be able to come in the store and say hey. I need to be around people like me that don't want to use that we need that need some positive influence in my life. So, what's next for you, brother? Where are you going now, man? You're gonna you're gonna attend more stores or something completely different when you look out in the future. Let's say you and me are meeting a year from now, okay, on the street, and we look back and say, "Man, Kenny, you did that. What is that? What is that? Yeah. What you want to do?" Yeah, yeah. So, like uh, in the works, I have like a huge project coming out. I can, I can, I can let it out. It's, it's going to be a documentary. So for two years, we've been filming a full documentary. That's been like what my life was like in active addiction interviews from my judge, probation officer, people in the community who have known me before and now. So it's like both their perspective on both, you know, and like in the company, just that from Akron, how it's made a change. So we'll be uh, this summer, the documentary is going to be premiering a uh, red carpet event. Um, a lot of community businesses involved to get the awareness of what their companies are out. Um, I have an expansion coming and, you know, just to continue to reach um, other people. Like it's, it's grown through the United States. I get a lot of support from Florida, California, Denver, um, all over the United States. It's growing people buying merchandise, whoever they used to live in Ohio at one point, or they've never been here. They just came across the story of the company. So Kenny, man, we, we are spreading the word here. All right. So we are definitely going to be, you know, and for our listeners, if you, you just remember, as we wrap up this podcast, you know, you are listening to Recovery Talks, the podcast, and you can find this episode and more at recoverytalks.org. That's recoverytalks.org. Please subscribe and download, like, and share and follow. And, and you know, you can also, you know, pop on over to 91.3, the Summit's Rock and Recovery pages. But Kenny, man, thank you so much for giving me 30 yeah, minutes sure. of your time, man. I know we didn't do a lot of warm up for this podcast, but it felt pretty natural to me. I mean, I think we're probably two brothers yeah. from the same mother, or different mother, yeah, 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 or whatever that sure. saying is. <laughs> but I feel it, man. I, you, know, you know, just as a person that's involved in the community and, and you know, it's got a connection from, you know, years and years ago, going over to a guitar shop in that part of town, man. That was the place, you know, as a guitar player, you know, we all went there. Yeah. That was the place we went to get our guitars repaired. And, and it's driving through that neighborhood now and seeing the recovery and the revival that's going on now and being involved in some things. I'm actually going to be doing some music there for some of the events that are going to be happening this year. So yeah, for sure. I'm just, I just want to just say thank you for everyone involved. You know, thank you to the people who have supported you really want to let people know that there is a way to recover. Recovery is possible. So, you know, thank you everybody for listening to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Just always remember that we need to stay connected, stay standing, and steady on.